0: Lord, we just want to thank you for this evening. We thank you for each person that's here. We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word and guide and lead us as we examine what it is and let your Holy Spirit be our leader and teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. Deuteronomy 28. And it shall come to pass that if you shall hearken diligently unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe and do all his commandments which I command you this day and that the Lord your God will set before you on high for above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come on you and overtake you if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord. Blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the fruit of your cattle and the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. Blessed shall be your baskets in your store. Blessed shall be you when you come in and blessed shall you be when you go out. And the Lord shall cause your enemies to rise up against you that rise up against you to be smitten before, the, before your face. They shall come against you one way and flee from you in seven ways. The Lord shall command a blessing upon you in the storehouses and all, and all that you set your hand unto, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And the Lord shall establish you a holy people unto himself as he has sworn unto you, if you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. And all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord shall make you plenteous in goods, and in the fruit of your body, and in the fruit of the cattle, and in the fruit of the ground, and in the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers to give you. And the Lord shall open unto you his good treasures, and the heaven to give the rain unto your hand in in his season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to to many nations, and you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, And you shall be above only, and you shall not be beneath, if you hearken to the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you this day to observe and to do them. Okay, so this is the first part of what we're going to look at, and I'm going to read some more, because this is going to be quite a comparison and contrast, because God sets before the people a blessing and a curse. And in 13 verses, he sets forth a blessing, and then in the rest of the, hopefully, 34 verses I'm going to try to look at. (laughs) He shuts forth the curse, and you're going to see a very similar pattern in the cursing, even though it's intensified. So I want to read the cursing as well. And you shall go aside not from any of the Lord's which I command you this day to the right hand nor to the left. You shall not go after any other gods to serve them. But it shall come to pass that if you will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God to observe all his commandments and his statutes, and which I command you this day, and, and these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city. And cursed shall you be in the field. Cursed shall you be your basket and your store. Cursed shall be the fr- fruit of your body, the fruit of your land, and the increase of your kind and the flocks of your sheep. Cursed shall you be when you come in, and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall send upon you cursing, vexation, and rebuke, and all that you say... Set it your hand to do for to do until you shall until you be destroyed, until you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doings whereby you have forsaken me. The Lord shall make the pestilence cleave unto you until you, he consume you from off the land, whether you go to possess it. The Lord shall smite you with consumption and with the fever and with the inflammation and with an extreme burning and with the sword and with blasting and with mildew, and they shall be, pursue you until you perish. And your heaven that is over your head shall be brass, and the earth that is under you shall be iron. The Lord shall make the rain of your land powder, and dust from heaven shall it come down upon you until you be destroyed. The Lord shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies, and you shall go one way against them, and shall flee seven ways before them, and shall be removed to all the kingdoms of the earth. And your, kirkus, your carcass shall be meat unto all the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth, and no man shall flay them away." fray them away excuse me the Lord will smite you with a blotch of Egypt and the emeralds and with the scab and with the itch and therefore you cannot be healed the Lord will smite you with madness and blindness and astonishment of heart and you shall grope in the noonday as the blind gropeth in the darkness and you shall not prosper in your ways and you shall be only oppressed and spoiled evermore and no man shall save you you shall betroth the wife and another man shall lie with her you shall build a house and an and shall not dwell therein. You shall plant a vineyard, and you shall not gather the grapes thereof. That your ox shall be slain before your eyes, and you shall not eat thereof. Your donkey shall be violently taken away from before your face, and shall not be restored before you. Your sheep shall be given to your enemies, and you shall not have none to rescue them. Your sons and your daughters shall be given unto other people. Your eyes shall look and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in your hand. The fruit of your land and all your labor shall be a, na- shall lay a nation which you know not eat up, and you shall be only oppressed and crushed always. So that you shall be mad at the sight of your eyes which you see. The Lord shall smite you in the knees and in the legs with a sore blotch that cannot be healed, from a sore on your foot, from the top of your head. The Lord shall bring you to your king, and your king which you shall set over you, unto a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known. And there shall you serve other gods, wood and stone. And you shall become a, an astonishment, a proverb, a byword among all nations, whether the, whether the Lord shall lead you. And you shall carry much seed out into the field, and shall gather but little in, and for, for the locust shall consume it. And you shall plant vineyards and dress them, but shall neither drink of the wine, nor gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat it. You shall have olive trees throughout your coast, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil, you for your olive shall cast his fruit. You shall beget sons and daughters, but you shall not enjoy them, for they shall go, go into captivity. All your trees and fruit of your land shall be the locust consumed. The stranger that was within you shall get up above you very high, and you shall come down very low. He shall lend to you, and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head, and you shall be the tail. Moreover, all the curses shall come upon you and shall pursue you and overtake you until you be destroyed, because you hearken not unto the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandment and his statutes which he commanded you. And they shall be upon you a sign and a wonder and upon your seat forever, because you serve not the Lord your God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart and for for the abundance of the things. Therefore you shall serve your enemies which the Lord has sent against you, and hunger, and in thirst, and nakedness, and in want, and all things. she will put a yoke of iron upon your neck until you, he has destroyed you. So we see here the same pattern that we've seen many times in the wandering of the wilderness. God placing a curse and a blessing before the people. And you know, God still does that to us today. When we wander with him, he says, here's a curse and a blessing before you. When we obey him, we will generally be blessed. And our families will be blessed. When we go against him and go into disobedience, we generally will be cursed. And our families get cursed. And this is the problem with the whole idea of leadership. When a father especially goes the wrong direction in a family, a whole family will suffer. If the mother also follows along in in that pattern, then the kids have got pretty much... No hope at all of being blessed, other than divine intervention. But God comes in here and he says, here's your blessings. I've given, Moses says, I've given you commandments. And we want to look at this, and then we're going to kind of look back, bouncing back and forth between what I've read. The very first blessing in verse uh, verse, uh, 3 says, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field. In other words, blessed also can mean happy, It can mean lifted up. And God says, when you're following him, you're going to be happy in the field and in the city. On the contrary, in verse 16, it says, if you're not obeying, cursed shall you be in the city and cursed shall you be in the field. In other words, when you're disobedient to God, nothing is going to be good. When you're following God, there's peace, there's joy, there's happiness. And this is one of the things I say, I love following God because He gives peace. I can be at peace no matter what's going on because God is in control and I'm serving Him. If I'm not, nothing is right. When you're outside of God's will, nothing is right in your life. But we've all probably been there when we haven't been following God where nothing seems to be going right, everything seems to be going wrong, and it has some long-term effects on us. There is a payment for what we do wrong into the future because we reap what we sow. If you reap following God you will reap the blessings over the long haul. And as has been said many times one of the rules and one of the laws in reaping and sowing is that you reap more than you sow. And this any farmer knows that if he plants one seed he does not expect to get one seed. If you plant one kernel of corn you do not expect to get one kernel of corn back. It would be a real waste if you got one kernel of corn back. Matter of fact, you want more than one ear of corn from that investment. You want a nice abundant crop. When you plant the seed of wheat, you don't want one seed of wheat, wheat coming back. God's ways are the same thing. When you sow good seed, we generally reap much more good than we sow. If we sow bad seed, we generally receive bad, much more bad than we sown. And this is just the law of sowing and reaping, and God is saying, "I want to bless you. Follow my ways." The dealings of Job was just isolated. Job was being taught lessons. Okay, two things when Job was being taught. Number one, Satan was challenging God, "But will he follow you if you take away all of his blessings?" And God says, "Yes, I believe he'll follow me with with take away his blessings." That was the primary reason for Job being tested. But Job's theology was also being corrected. Job was a prosperity gospel believer. You do good and you will be blessed. Always Job believed. And God, And this is why I say generally when you do good, you will get back good. But God can still say, let me test you. Are you going to trust me even if it seems like everything's going wrong? And this test will come oftentimes to us. Do you trust me, God will say, when I will let this trial and temptation come in your life? And sometimes it's deserved. And I've said oftentimes, when we're going through things, the first thing we do is, am I getting what I deserve? Have I been sinning and I deserve what I've got? If, if the answer is yes to that, then I repent and bear up with it under with all the grace that God gives me to bear up under the, the judgment. If I look at it and say, no, I don't feel like I've done anything wrong, The next question is, God, are you trying to teach me something? What are you trying to teach me? Otherwise, it might just be a trial to see, am I going to be faithful? It could be any one of those three things when we go through a hard time. Our first step will be, God, do I deserve this? And we usually know whether we deserve something or not. And if we really want to be truthful, we deserve it no matter what, because none of us are that perfect. What did I say the three things that could be? You could be being punished for something you've done wrong. You could be just being tested yes. for seeing whether you believe or something, or it could just be God saying, "Are you going to be faithful, even if it appears that He's not being?" Faithful? Our first step, though, is, "Do am am I reaping what I have sown?" And lots of times we are, if we really are honest with ourselves, we're reaping what we've sown. Other times, God is just saying, "Do you truly believe what I say, and are you willing to to bear up and 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 believe me?" Because not everything, in Job's case, not everything was. In matter of fact in his case none of it was deserved because God's testimony of Job to, to Satan was he is a perfect and upright man. And Job didn't know that it was Satan behind God. Right. He didn't know what was going on. All he knew is that he was being tested and God took the opportunity to also teach him that the prosperity gospel was not the correct gospel. Mm-hmm. That we can do everything right and still not be wealthy and all the other things that go go or go along wrong with that. Go wrong with even if we're not yeah. doing thom- something wrong. It was a lesson for Job. And God's purpose is always that He's going to teach us a lesson. Even if we deserve the punishment, He's teaching us a lesson. Many times we don't need to know the reason God does anything in our life because He's sovereign, He can do what He wants in my well, life. What I mean, the reason is that I want to do the right, there has to be a reason. If I'm, de- if I'm reaping what I have sown, then yes, I want to sit down and go, yes, I, I have been be- misbehaving, my sin is caught up with me and I need to repent. And if I don't, then it's just, okay, God, you've got your reasons for what you want to teach me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be faithful in what you've taught me. And that's what's important. The blessing comes in our full trust in God. When we fully trust that God knows what's best for us and that he is in sovereign and that he's in charge, how much peace can you have? Peace is the definition of peace is that tranquil state of a being who is at peace with his state with God, knowing that he does not have that he is not going to suffer for eternity. Yeah, because that's what I think. Cause like I said, I don't know if I told you this or not, because I'm all these years I mean, over 60 years I have never been truly really fully in peace. I have never liked myself, I have never done this and that. I'm in peace because I feel like no matter what, God is behind me. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think I'm really in peace. I, I feel so grateful. I but that's the, that's the most important place. When I'm at peace with God, I know that He's in control. I don't have to worry about anything. I can't Even you. when all hell seems to be breaking loose in my life, I can go, God, you still got a reason for this, and I'm going to have truth that you're the one holding me up in the midst of all of this because you're my strength. You're my, you're my honor. You're the one I'm going to follow. Is it easy to do? Absolutely not. Until you, But the more you do it the easier it gets. They have their own choices, but you also have to realize that only God can turn it around. He's the only one that can bring it, bring it to completion. This is something that is really true. It's really hard for those who are Christians who grow up taking God lightly and not making Him the center of their life and attending church and all of these other things. The kids see that and they'll, they'll react to it. The, ones that the other side of the coin is those who don't get saved until later in their life, and they've lived a life that didn't honor God for all their life, and then all of a sudden got turned around. Now, they're a little easier because the kids can understand, okay, you've changed. You know, we think it's weird that you've changed, but those who have been Christians all their life and pull away from God, that's a little harder because the kids see what they consider hypocrisy, God not being the center of the life and being serious. To see the, the one way of life... Up to here, and then as they're reaching adulthood, bam, it blows. And then they see, especially Mama, just kind of fall off the deep end. And that has an, impre- that has an impression on, on the children. All you can do now is pray for them. All you can do is pray for them. Confess, confess to God that I made that mistake. God, help, you, know, God you need to redeem it because only God can, re- can redeem it. And my, my testimony with you all is I am so thankful that my dad was one who opened the Bible, shared with us, and prayed with us, and took us to every activity he did with the church. It wasn't just something that was, you know, Sunday morning Christianity and the rest of the week was gone. And unfortunately, I worked with children long enough to know many, many people in the church are, that are living in a Sunday Christianity. And you see it in their kids. You hear it from their kids. It affects the kids and it makes it very difficult for those kids to come back. Those kids are harder to reach than the ones who have had a totally bad example. You know, because they, they look at it and their, their parent was of the world just like them and then they became a Christian and they can see the difference. Somebody who claimed to be a Christian and didn't live it out is a lot harder for them because even if they then come back to Christ or get serious with God, they're going, so what's different? What's really different, they said they were a Christian all the time. And this is what happens when Christians are a bad witness to the world. The world looks at them and says, well, they're just a hypocrite. They're just like me. There's nothing about them that I desire. And that's a sad thing because we think about that. In those times when we've lived that way, how many people have we hurt and led the wrong way? Not just family, but people that came across us saying we're a Christian and and we're doing the same exact things that they're doing we're living just the way they they live and that has a great impact on people and it has a bad testimony on people and the only way it's going to be redeemed is that God redeems it and God can redeem it and will redeem it if you pray the power of prayer never give up on the prayer prayer is what ultimately will win the day for 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 it and letting God do what he has to do. Sometimes sometimes as parents we don't want God to do what he has to do to our children to win them back. Because sometimes they have to hit rock bottom before they're going to be able to say I need God. And we don't want the we don't want to see them hurt and oftentimes we will try to do everything we can to keep them from getting hurt. And the question is are we helping them when we do that? And probably probably 80 to 90% of the time no, we're not helping them by preventing them from hitting rock bottom. Because until they hit bottom, they, don't, they depend on themselves and not God. And this is a serious issue that has to be dealt with. And it's hard. Believe me, it's hard to, to watch somebody suffer. The hardest thing in the world is to see somebody that you love and care for suffer. Even as a pastor, I see that when I teach something and then I watch somebody do exactly what I've taught not to do, And going, you want to just scream, aren't you listening? But it's, and then I read the Bible, how many times does God tell us the same thing over and over and over and over again? And God's patient, but I can also picture that God has tears in his eyes so many times and saying, when are you guys going to listen? You know, when are you going to hear? When are you going to listen? How many times do I have to tell you before you finally get it through your head and not have to be in all this pain on it? But we as parents need to be able to just say, God, I put my children in your hands, whatever it takes. No, but what I found that by doing the right thing and not doing what I had been doing years ago, I have had my family relationships have become so much stronger. Because it's based on a more solid foundation than what you were trying to base it on with the world. Let's try to continue here. (laughs) Verse 4. Blessed shall the fruit be the fruit of your body, the fruit of the ground, and the fruit of your cattle, and the increase of your kind, which was cows for anybody who wants to, who's reading the King James. And the flocks of your sheep. So God says you're going to be blessed in all that you do, basically. And the fruit of your womb, this goes back to what we were just discussing. When we are honoring God and we are following God, our family will usually follow behind us in worship of God. And this is really true. Our children want to see us worshiping a real event, a real person, 24-7. The unfortunate thing is many Christians are following God on a Sunday morning God. Maybe Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. You know, They come to church those three nights of the week, and the rest of the week, God has no part of their life. And the kids notice this. They notice when dad comes home and says, You know, well, I made this really good deal. I really got that person. I got him, I squeezed them for every nickel I could. And they're going, I thought we were supposed to love people and care for people and treat them, treat them fair. You know, on a Sunday morning, you were talking about how we're supposed to be nice to people and kind to people. You're telling us, and then you're talking about how you've squeezed this person for every penny out of the deal. Uh, well, kids, if this is so and so calling, tell them I'm not home. You know, we just taught our kids to be truthful, but when it comes to somebody we don't want to talk to, we tell them to lie. Okay, are we living our Christianity out in front of our family, our neighbors, our workers, our co-workers? Because they notice. They notice whether we're doing it or not. They notice real quickly if we say one thing and do another, And, you know, this is unfortunately the way many kids in Christian homes are raised. We're this way on Sunday. We're this way, you know, maybe on Wednesday night. Maybe I'll pick up my Bible sometime in the middle of the week and we might read the Bible. Uh, Maybe I'll decide to pray. I think it's important that we have our kids, our grandkids, our nieces and nephews catching us reading the Bible, praying speaking about what God says, and living it out. It's one thing to say that I'm gonna honor authority, and then when you get pulled over by the police because you were going just a little too fast, and cursing at the police officer under your breath while he's writing the ticket, and the kids are like, I thought we were supposed to be honoring our authority. When we are honoring God and living according to his, we will be blessed. Our families will be blessed. We will be financially blessed. We will be taken care of. Does that mean we'll be really rich? No, but you know what? God's people do not go hungry. It's an amazing thing. If you're honoring God, He will provide. Maybe not the feast that you want. You know, you may not be eating filet mignon and uh, porterhouse steaks every night of the, of the week, but you know, God will make sure that you have food that will sustain you. He'll make sure there's a roof over your head. He'll make sure that you're covered in all these things. And it says, if you're not, verse 18, Cursed shall be the fruit of your body, and cursed the fruit of the land, and the increase of your kind, and the flocks of your sheep. Cursed, you know, so he's saying, you will be, everything will go wrong. Everything will go wrong when you're not following him. And part of that is to bring us back to him. You know, God is trying hard. When we get away from him, he's going to try really hard to get us to come back. And a lot of that will be withdrawing his blessings upon us and making life miserable. What happened to the prodigal son when he went off and squandered all of his money? He ended up at the bottom of the barrel wanting to eat the pig's food. That's pretty, got to be pretty hungry to be wanting to eat the pig's food. Mm-hmm. And it's where he was at. And that's when he decided it's time to go back home. My father's servants are better treated than I am it takes going down to the bottom most of the time when you listen to the various testimonies that somebody has when they've gone off away from god the, the story is almost always the same i hit bottom whatever bottom was and i decided it was time to come back to god whatever that bottom might be you know i found myself on skid row in the middle of the of the uh, missions out there and i realized all of a sudden that i needed god or i you know, I was ready to kill myself, and, I, and God spoke to me at the last moment. We hear this testimony over and over and over again. I was so sad I wanted to just end it all because I was, well, nothing was worth it. Many, many pastors I listen, listen to on the radio have this type of testimony, that I was ready to commit suicide, and God stepped in. I was ready to destroy what little I did have left, and God stepped in. God steps in to our life, and when He steps in, He will change it all back, and He will redeem it. He will make things good. What did He do in Job's life at the end? He restored everything two times what he had lost. That's quite a blessing, especially with a rich man like Job in the first place. But God will bring us back, and He'll use use those hard things as a testimony of what He can do. And He says, I'm going to bless you. But there's a cursing and a blessing before us and we get to choose. We choose obedience or we choose to disobey. Verse 5, Blessed also shall be your basket in your store. You shall be blessed when you come in and blessed when you go out. God says you will have things besides. Have you ever been to a place where you've gotten blessed so much that you had money and goods to share with others? Maybe not a ton of stuff, but you had stuff to share. When somebody was in need, you had you had what was needed because you're following God. And he blesses when you go in and out. He has, gives you opportunities to share with him. He gives opportunities for you to show who and what he's like. Uh, verse 17 is the counter. And curse shall be your basket in your store. When you're not following God, nothing seems to be good. And you know what's really amazing? Sometimes when you're not following God... You actually have more than when you are at peace with God, but it never seems to be enough because your, your, your hope and your desires on what you have rather than on God. God is a God of abundance. Do you really realize and do you understand how much God wants to bless you? I was finishing up the book on George Mueller today, and it was saying that in his lifetime, he ministered to 10 plus orphans in his lifetime. He had, I think they said, 10, 000, uh, 10 million pounds flow through his hands to take care of these children. And this was in the 1800s. That was a fortune. And he never kept it for himself. He just kept pouring it out. And, and all he did was learn the God wanted to bless. And every time he needed something, he'd pray. And God would bless. And there was a time when he goes, God, I need the money. I want to take a trip with my wife to go visit my, my homeland. And God, I need the money for the, for the trip. And I need the money in the bank so the, the orphanage won't have to worry while I'm gone. And God provided both of those. Do we really fully understand how much God wants to bless us if we would just trust him and not try to use it upon ourselves and everything God has great desires to bless us he owns the cattle on a thousand hill and hills and all the hills that the cattle are on and everything else besides uh, he has no problem blessing us because George Mueller was asked one time well what if God stops blessing you what if the people that are giving you die he goes well God's I'm not my dependence is on the people it's on God It's not on anybody that's giving, it's on God. Is our trust in God that He's going to bless us. And how much does He want to bless us? He sent Jesus to die for us. That's the greatest gift of all that He could give us. And then He wants to bless us besides that. How many times have you been in a place and you go, God, I have this need. I need you to fulfill it, and God provides. Now, sometimes He provides by making you work hard. (laughs) You know, provides a job job for you and makes you work hard. Sometimes he actually just drops a, a gift into your lap. You never know what it's going to be, but God is ready to provide and give great gifts. And I have been blessed so many times over the years watching God just provide. Sometimes he's provided by great, really good jobs. Other times he's provided, like this last three years before, you know, when I didn't have any job, you know, other than Lynn's work coming in and just providing over and over and over again. Watching him be faithful. And God is always faithful. All we've got to do is trust him. Now, he likes to do things at the last possible minute. Like the, day, the, the, the hour before the bill is due to give you the money right before the, the, the bill is due. You know, he has a great sense of humor and making sure that you're going to trust him up until the last moment. But he wants to be the one that gives us blessings. Uh, He wants to bless us when we come in and when we go out. Verse 7, and the Lord shall cause your enemies that rise up against you to be smitten before your face. They shall come against you one way and they shall flee from you in seven ways. Complete, utter defeat. Seven is the number of completion. He goes, they come at you one way and they're completely scattered. And quite a picture, isn't it? And you think about this. Many times in Israel's history, when they have been following God, they have had tremendous victories over their enemies. I was just reading in Samuel where Saul, before he ba- the battle of a- uh, uh, against the Amalekites, when he, when he disobeyed God, said he discomforted all the enemies around him. David discomforted all the enemies around him to the point where they owned all the land that they were supposed to own for Israel. Solomon took over it and kept it. And then from that point on, they started disobeying God and usually lost their battles. Or how about the time when, when uh, I think it was Hezekiah was praying because the army had the city surrounded and the angel of the Lord came and killed 10,000 of the enemy in one night. That's pretty powerful. One angel killing ten thousand people. 185,000 wants to. Yeah, another another time. You know, God. These angels are pretty powerful uh, creatures, yeah. and and God is going to, God has a whole host of them available to him, and how do much do we worry about little things when God says, I, I'm just gonna, I'm going to give you victory, I'm going to be the one that keeps you. And the contrary to this one is verse 25. The Lord shall cause you to be smitten before your enemies, and you shall go out one way against them, and shall flee seven ways before them, and you shall be removed unto all the kingdom of the earth. Your carcasses shall be meat to all the fowls of the air and unto the beasts of the earth, and no man shall fray them or send them away. So he's saying, if you're disobedient, you will not be successful in battles. Have you ever been in a spiritual battle without when you've been disobedient to God? And it seems like there is no way to win because everything seems to go wrong. When you're being disobedient to God and you're not listening to him and you watch everything seem to go wrong in your life for a while. Because you're not willing to bend your knee and do things God's way. Been there, done that. <laughs> Where I haven't done with God's way and had repercussions that, that affected my whole family and affected us for time afterwards, even while God was then working things out in the blessing. but He says if you're not going to follow Him, you're not going to stand against the enemies. And sometimes that will be spiritual enemies. When Satan comes against us, we will not stand. When all the bad comes against us and we're not standing with God, we're gonna get beat up. And we've talked about this. God says to hide in Him. If we are not in Him, we are not following Him, we're standing outside of Him. And the worst place to be in the middle of a storm is outside, especially if it's a bad storm. If it's hailing out there, though, you really don't want to be out in the, in the storm, especially even if it's small hail. Just picture some of this big hail that comes out and actually can destroy buildings that is going on around, around our country and our world. If we're outside of God, we're going to be hurt. And he's saying, I want to give you victory. I want to make you victorious. And again, this is the greatest thing. When you're standing in God's, the center of God's will, in victory, and all these things coming along because God's the one fighting for you, the enemy scatters. He is keeping you. He's, he's giving you rest in the midst of your enemies. And he's anointing our heads with oil. He's keeping us fed. He keeps us protected. And he says, this is what you get. You're going to be Blessed. It is wonderful to watch God bless. And one of the things he said between this, and I forgot this because he expanded upon the the cursings. It goes in verse 20, And the Lord shall send you cursing, vexation, rebuke, and all you set your hand to do until you be destroyed and, and you perish quickly because of the wickedness of your doing, whereby you have forsaken me. So when we forsake him, God sends cursing and vexation. Vexation. He makes it an irritant upon us. When we are not following him, everything seems to be wrong. Everything seems to be going bad. And this is when we have to just hide in him and say, God, I need you. Because all of this vexation, all of this testing, all of this was to drive us back to God. His cursing is not necessarily just to make you miserable. It does make you miserable. But the purpose of the misery is to drive you back to Him. He always wants us to come back to Him. That's what all the tribulation and trials are about. The book of Revelation, we've said this over and over, the book of Revelation is not so that God can just be mean to people. You know, God isn't up there saying, I just think I'm gonna be mean to humanity for seven years. His goal is to drive them to Him. Now many won't. But his goal is, I'm going to make life miserable and they're going to come to me. Some will come. They, went, they didn't want to respond to my love, let's go after them with my vengeance and make them uncomfortable so that they'll come to me. And you know, some people need that. Some people only respond to a hard time. Especially when there's somebody who's stubborn and, and strong-willed. And if you've ever had a strong-willed kid, you know what that's like. You know, uh, we had one kid, you looked at him and he would cry. <laughs> We had a couple others that were a little more strong-willed. You know, it was like, I'm going to do things my way. And it took a little bit of twisting the arms to get them to go back the right way. God knows that sometimes we can be strong-willed. He knows that some of us are very soft and tender and will respond to just the lightest touch. And he knows that others need to be crushed (laughs) before they're going to respond. And this is why he puts a curse and blessing in front of us. When we start going the wrong way, he sends a little bit of a touch. And if we respond... Good. If not, he sends heavier and heavier trials. The Lord shall make pestilence cleave unto you until he has consumed you from off the land. Have you ever had things that seem to be cleaving to you, stuck to you, for whatever reason? Sometimes we need to repent. Sometimes we go, God, I just need to repent. Help me get over this and help help me this be redeemed. Other times, we just have to endure. There's always consequences. Many people have suffered for one night of sin, have suffered for the rest of their life. Whether it be they got drunk and into a major accident and killed somebody and ended up in, in prison, got into an accident and hurt just themselves severely and had to pay for it for the rest of their life. Maybe they went out and had a one night stand and ended up with pregnancy or a sexually transmitted disease from it and are now suffering for a long period of time. There's always consequences for our actions. Some of them have longer term effects than others. Some are easily overcome, some are very hard to overcome. If we raise our children wrong for all of our life, then we're gonna suffer as we watch our kids having to learn hard lessons from God later on. If we do it all right and they go wrong, we still suffer because we still love our kids. And it's hard to watch our kids go off in the wrong direction. But you know, the most important thing to always remember, especially when it comes to kids, is they're responsible for their own decisions. No matter what example you put in their life, good or bad or indifferent, they are responsible for their choices, not us. Now, the world will tell them through psychology and everything, it's all our fault. You know, if you messed up, you you really messed up their life and there's no hope for them, that's not a true statement. Yes, we can impact our kids. Yes, we put them on the wrong road, maybe. But they're still accountable for their life because God's going to put the right people in their life to get the message across to them as well. But we need to understand. And I've been there, done that myself, as I've struggled with, okay, I made a lot of mistakes as my kids got older and I'm going, you know, and I watched some of the things that especially the oldest one did. And I'm going, wow, I made a lot of mistakes in his life. Did much better by the time I got to my, my, my little girl. I had, had learned a lot of lessons by that time and fixed a lot of things. And it's kind of amazing that God gives us kids when we're young and stupid and don't know anything better. And then we make all kinds of mistakes with our kids and then he lets us be grandparents and learn how to do it right and have to irritate our kids because we're trying to trying to tell them how to do things that they know that we didn't do in their, in their childhood. <laughs> so, but we want to be able to listen to God. Let's see, verse eight. And the Lord shall command the blessing upon you in your storehouses, and all that you set your hand to, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord will give you. And the contrary one on this, on the cursing, is in verse 38. You shall carry much seed out in the field and shall gather but little in, for the locust shall consume it. You shall plant vineyards and dress them, and you shall neither drink the wine nor eat gather the grapes, for the worms shall eat them. You shall have olive trees throughout all your coast, but you shall not anoint yourself with oil. oil. Your olive shall cast his fruit, you shall beget sons and daughters, and you shall not enjoy them, and they shall go into captivity. So we see here that God is, oh, and the trees and the fruit of your land shall the locust consume. In our disobedience, everything is consumed to, into waste. This is something that we see. We we've, we've all been there at some time when everything we do seems to go wrong. And I and I love this picture. You cast a lot of seed, and you re- your reward is a little, because the Locusts eat it. The worms eat it. Everything is the nature destroys it. Everything is against you. Most of us have probably been there, where it seems like everything's against us. Every time we do something, it goes wrong. And I've shared with you. I spent six years trying to learn a lesson, not learn a lesson from God for you know fighting him for six years, and have everything go wrong. It was exactly this situation. I would cast out the seed, knowing it was good seed, and the next thing I know, nothing was going right. And had to finally say, God, I give up. I want to do things your way. And God says, we'll say to you, okay, good, now let's let's turn this around. Let's turn it around. He will do this. And our example is so important on how are we going to do it. God says he wants to build our storehouses. He wants to give us good things. He wants to give us the provision for the future. But not if we're going to consume it upon ourselves. Not if we're just going to use it, use it in in our way. You know, when you ask a, a very wealthy person who's not a Christian, how much more do you need? And I go, a little bit more. I need a little bit more. So if somebody's got more than I have. I've got to get a little bit more. And you're looking at him and go, you've got enough forever. Jesus told the, the parable about the, the rich man who had such an abundant crop that he tore down his barns and built bigger barns and said, I've got, I've got enough for last me years. And then God said, thou fool, tonight shall your soul be required of you. And he died that night. Finally got what he thought he needed to supply himself for the rest of his life and his life, it did. It lasted him much longer than his life because his life ended that night. We need to not be foolish enough to not save anything for the future, but we've got to be careful how much do we save for the future. How many times do we watch people who have saved all for their future? One day when I retire, I'm going to go on my trips. I'm going to, I'm going to enjoy life when I retire. And they either never make it to retirement or everything they care about, cared about, dies before they get to retirement. And the market closes down, you know, shuts down and they lose all their all their money for retirement and they're still miserable and they never never have taken time to enjoy what God has blessed them with. We need to enjoy and be blessed. Take time out to do things that God's asking you to do, but enjoy life. I love my life. I really do. People will go, well, how can you enjoy life? You never do anything. Well, I get to do the most important thing in my life, and that's to teach God's word. And I've done it all my life. And it's the greatest thing. Would I love to get into an RV and go camping and run around the country for a couple months? That would be great fun. But you know what? I could never do it because I would miss being back at my church teaching. Unless God made me a traveling evangelist, which might, maybe he'll do that, but I don't know if that'll ever happen. Yes, Annie. Lynn's shaking her head. She doesn't want to be a travel evangelist. And so what I'm saying. If you made me some kind of an evangelist, it would be a fun thing to do. I don't see that ever happening, but it might. I mean, who knows? You know, people like George Mueller never saw himself being an evangelist wandering. He always thought he'd be doing the orphanage. Uh, many of these other great people never thought they would do the things that they did, and God did things with them. So you never know what God's got in store. But we always have to be looking, how are we going to be blessed? I can be very happy if I did nothing ever again but to be the pastor of a small church teaching people the Word of God is a very fulfilling task. Watching people's lives get changed. I love watching the people in this church and watching how their lives have changed over the last four years. Seeing how they've come and blossomed in their trust for God and tr- blossomed in their love for God and His Word and just watching the peace that's come over people and how they've changed. I can't think of any greater blessing than to know that that's also going to be taken into eternity. That people are going to be blessed throughout eternity because of how much they're growing. And it's a great blessing to see. Let's see, verse 9. The Lord shall establish you a holy people unto himself, for he has sworn unto you, if you keep my commandments, says the Lord, and walk in my ways, he will establish his people. The idea of establishing, being made steadfast. He says I'm going to make you strong and we're going to steadfast, Steadfast, stable stable not being blown about by every wind of doctrine not being knocked over he says in this case being a strong nation because they followed God our nation started on the principles of God and as as the more we're dropping away from God's principles the more unstable our country is becoming to the point where we may just lose this country because of the judgment of God upon it if, it doesn't, if this country doesn't repent. Verse 36 is the, the opposite of this. He says, The Lord shall bring you and your king which you shall set over you unto a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there shall you serve other gods of wood and stone. And you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations whether, where, wherever the Lord shall lead you. So if you disobey God, you shall cease to be a strong people. You will go into captivity. How many times have we really gone into captivity spiritually? Maybe not physically, but we've gone into captivity spiritually. To some sin, some desire, because we're not following God. And you know what? Most of the time, it's some place where we thought we were really strong, that God lets us fall. And why? Because we don't set a guard on that area. We're usually pretty good about saying, God, I have a real weakness in this area I don't want to have anything, so we put a guard on that area. We're not, you know, God, I have a real problem with alcohol. I'm not even going to go any place where alcohol is served. And then we totally forget about some place that we think we're strong in. And I can tell you, if there's any place in your life that you say, I would never fall in this area, beware. <laughs> because that is probably exactly the area that you're going to fall into sin in. Because you're not going to guard it the way you should. You're not going to put the protection on it because you're going to think, I am strong in this area. I can can overcome this area. I can guarantee most of these pastors and evangelists that have gone into adultery and fornication in their ministries probably felt that I would never commit adultery against my wife. I just never would. So they've done things that were real stupid, like be alone with a woman in their office while they counsel. Be alone with a woman at dinner or something just because they needed somebody to talk to. And then have things all of a sudden get out of hand. That's why I say never say never. Yep. Never say never. It's a very dangerous thing. Okay, verse 10. And all the people of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid. God says that he will keep you. And the people will fear. You know, one of the amazing things I find is that people, when they know you're a Christian, react different to you if you're living a Christian life than when you're not living a Christian life. I've had more people apologize for using the Lord's name in vain. and I've never said you can't use the Lord's name in vain. I've had more people you know curse or swear and get and apologize to me for using it. Not because I've ever said no, you can't, or even that I've given him a dirty look for it. It's just, I bring you, and you're walking with God. You bring God's presence in, and God convicts. And I've all told you the story. about when I was a manager and the area supervisor, really was a foul-mouthed, you know, hard to get along with guy. But when he came into my store, he was a really nice guy. <laughs> Not that I ever told him he was my boss. I wasn't going to tell him he couldn't talk that way. But God's spirit within that store that I brought with me probably brought conviction into his life. Have you been there where you've had people do that? Where they get to know that you're a Christian and they go, oh, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have, shouldn't have been doing that. Why? Because God's presence brings a fear upon them. When he's not there, the, the verse that I read earlier in, in uh, 38, uh, 37, and you shall become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all the nations where the word, Lord your God shall lead you. Basically, you should become a joke. And unfortunately, when we are saying that we're Christians and we're not living up to that, and we're, bringing it, and we're living in a cursed way, we are making God a joke in front of people. And that should really sadden us. When I am being hypocritical, I am being two-faced, I am not living according to the way God wants me to live, I am bringing a bad testimony upon his name to people. And God has made a joke in front of them. Or at least our brand of life has made a joke in front of them, which we're saying is godly. This is a serious thing. This is why God is very serious about how we are to live and, and how he will, why he will not let us live in a lifestyle using his name and drag his name into the mud. He will cause problems for us to bring us back to him or make us reject him, one or the other. God, I'm going to give up on you because, because of how bad it is or I'm going to repent and turn back. And that's the whole purpose. Sometimes he may even have to take people home if, they, if they're if in the name of Christ and they are saved and they're so bad at testimony, he may just say, okay, it's time to come home. You're hurting the Gospels so bad that I'm going to bring you home. And I don't want to do it. I don't want to do that myself. Verse 11, and the Lord shall make you a plenteous in goods and in the fruit of your body, and the fruit of your cattle, in the fruit of your ground, in the land which the Lord your God swore to give you. And in verse 10, and the Lord shall open unto you his good treasure of heaven, the heaven to give rain unto your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend unto many nations and you shall not borrow. God is going to bless. What was the last scripture? Huh? Verse twelve. 12, 12, verse 12. You read ten. Eleven and twelve. I read. Oh, wow. but you said, you said you ten. Said 10. Oh, I said ten. Yeah. Uh, I just wanted to confuse everybody. See if you're on. If you're following, okay. <laughs> so God says He's going to give us. He's going to open up His good treasure. Do you realize that that how much bountiful God has? We've talked already about this. He is bountiful. He wants to bless his children. Just as any one of us want to bless our children as much as we possibly can. Maybe to a point that we spoil them, but we want to give them. And it says, He'll give the heaven open unto the rain and in its season and bless all the work of your hands. And we we look at this one and we go to this one in verses 40. let's see that's not what I want oh verse 28 Uh, and the heaven that is over your head shall be brass and the earth that is under you shall be iron and the Lord shall make the rain in your land powder and dust and from heaven shall it come upon you and it shall until you be destroyed God says that if you when we're following him he will bless us rain will be in, in due season the waters will be there the weather will be right but you look at this very poetic language. The, the Very heavens shall be like brass, brass, hard, worthless, not, you know, and we almost think of, one of the things I think is so beautiful here in Arizona is some of the sunsets when the dust is just, just, just the right amount of dust to not be a dust storm, but it diffuses the light into that golden color. Now that golden color is worthless if you're trying to grow <laughs> grow anything because it indicates if you haven't had any rain <laughs> i think this is what he's talking about your, your 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 skies are going to be such that they're going to be hard they're going to be without and their your ground is going to be so hard that you can't even it's going to be like iron yeah. mm-hmm. have you ever tried to dig in in sun-baked earth that hasn't had rain for a long time i've only done it once or twice but i don't want to do it very often it is, it is hard it is very hard to move and he says And you shall make the rain in your land like powder of dust and the the heaven shall come down upon you and you shall be destroyed. In other words, no rain. No blessings. It's going to be hard to grow when we're going against God. We look at Egypt and how fertile it was and how now it's not fertile. We look at Israel and it's been fertile in the past and then it wasn't fertile for a long time. And it was amazing when Israel was put back in their land and the and they wanted to buy the land of Israel because it was given to them, but but they bought it from the Palestinians and the Palestinians willingly sold them these worthless hunks of rocky dirt that they they had, and God blessed them. And now it's the most fertile land in the area being the breadbasket of all of Europe. And God is blessing them only because of his covenant, not because of their blessing and their honor but he's blessing them because of the covenant that he made with them. And he's giving them great blessing. But he says, I will bless. God wants to bless. And look what he can do when he puts his hand in something. The ways that he can bless us. And give us so much. And then he says, and you shall lend to many nations. and they, And you shall not lend, borrow from them. That's the second half of verse 12. And... God is out there saying there's an abundance. He gives his people an abundance and the Jews have been very well known for their lending <laughs> and not borrowing from other people. Matter of fact, so much so that people have gone against them for, for it over the time. And in verse 44, on the negative side, he, he, he shall lend unto you and you shall not lend to him. He shall be the head and you shall be the tail. In other words, when you're being cursed, you will be the one borrowing. And all through the book of Kings, we see this, pro- this prosperity. Many times when they're godly, others are reaching out to them for, for blessing. They're being reached out for them for, for military a- aid. When they're worshiping idols, they're having to give their money out to people to bring them in to help them. And that still doesn't work because God's against that. And the last verse we're going to look at is verse 13. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail, and you shall be above only, and you shall not beneath, be beneath it if you hearken unto the commandments of the Lord. We are victorious when we're following God. We are victorious. Even when it seems like we're not, God says we are victorious. What can separate us from the love of God? And Paul says nothing. We, life nor death nor height nor width nor depth nor nor any other thing nor principalities and he goes on and on and lists basically everything that possibly could be we are victorious when we're living in him when we're not living with him we go back to verse 44 which was the last verse we read and he shall lend to you and then you, uh, he shall lend to you and you shall not lend to him he shall be the head and you shall be the tail When we are disobedient to God, He will not let us be victorious in what we do. Because our victory must be in Him. When we are His children not following Him, everything will seem to be going wrong in our life. Everything. Sometimes it'll seem like it's going wrong even when we're following Him. But at least at that time we have our peace, we have our joy. And some of that is just our steadfastness in God saying, will you trust me to take care of these details that you think are all wrong? As Annie said, you know, she's at peace with even though all these other things are going on. There's got to be this peace because God is in charge. He's got a plan. And we need to place all that we have in his hands. If we have a disobedient, rebellious child, we place that child in God's hands to deal with. If we have a Righteous and, and godly child, we put that child in his hands too because he's the only one that can keep that child without going, going the wrong direction. When everything seems to be going good, we put that into God's hands. When we're being blessed, we put that in God's hand. When he strips away everything that we have, we put it in his hands and say, okay God, Job said, naked I came into this world, naked I, I shall return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Shall we accept good from the Lord's hand and not bad? He had a lot of faith in God. He understood a lot of things about God, even though he didn't truly practice them. And yet, we need to be in that same place. Are we going to trust God? Are we going to follow Him? There is great blessing. And I know these blessings and curses are directed at Israel. But we are His children just as much as Israel was. And while we can't say these are absolutely ours, I know for a fact that God wants to bless us. So if we obey Him, the blessings are ours. If we disobey Him, The curses are ours and we need to stand in front of him and say, God, I want to serve you. Help me serve you better. Because we cannot serve him in our own strength. He wants to crucify our flesh and he wants to work through us. And this is why we've always got to depend on him. The working with God and saying, God, I just want to follow you. Help me follow you greater. Just as the man who said, do you have faith that I can do this? And he says, Lord, I have faith. Help me with my unbelief. God loves that. God, I have unbelief. I have weaknesses. Help me get over my unbelief. Help me get through my weaknesses. How do we do that? Mostly, we get into God's Word. This is the most powerful tool we have to following God. The more we get into His Word, the more we will start trusting Him. And the more we believe His Word, the more we will see Him be faithful. And the more we we look into his word, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We have to be in his word because that is what will build our faith. We'll see what he's done for others. We'll see what he's promised. And then we grab hold of those promises and we say, God, I want what you've said is mine. And I'm going to tell you, it won't be easy. He's going to test you and say, all right, you want it? Do you really believe that I can do it? You want me to really bless you in this area of life? Let me take away the blessing and see if you're still going to trust me that I'm in God. And then he pours out the blessing when we trust him. Everything we go through is to say, Do we really believe what he has taught us? What he has said? And sometimes it's not an easy road. And the really good news for us is it doesn't end. The more we learn about him, the more he's going to test what we learn. And the harder the test will be because we know more. And we are in a higher place. And he's going to say, all right, I'm I'm really going to test you now. Maybe someday we'll get to the level of Job where God says, I'm really going to test you. I'm going to take away everything. I'm going to take everything away with you. Will you trust me? And then watch what he does when he blesses. God does this over and over again. Do you really trust Him? Will I trust what He says is true? And the the most important thing is, yes, God, I'm going to trust You. How do we know? We don't know until it's tested. I can say I believe every word of this Bible all day long, and if I've never been tested in it, it's worthless. And like I say with a chair, it's a good example. You know, I can say I believe a chair is going to hold me up, but until I actually sit down in that chair... I'm not telling you that I believe that chair can, can hold me up. Uh, I, I believe this bridge will hold me up as I walk across it and as it sways back and forth. <laughs> okay? Uh, don't look down. You know, As you're, as you're swaying 10 feet, 10 feet both ways on the suspension bridge, it's held up everybody who's crossed it. You know, and, but we need to be so careful. Do we trust God? Do we care about what he says? And I'm going to put all my trust in him no matter what looks like it's going wrong. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, that's a big test. God, I just don't understand. This doesn't seem to be working. When I first came to this church, I came here with a very good job, figuring that my tithe alone would cover most of, the, most of it. And God goes, no, you're not, you're, not paying, you're not supporting the church, and took the job completely away and made me dependent upon him for, many, for, for a few years. Could that have been devastating? Absolutely could have been devastating. i passed that one. I have other tests that I've not passed. but passed that one. But God's got things in our course and saying, are you going to pass this test when I pull away from you for a moment? And in God's Not Dead too, there's a wonderful line in the movie, and we'll end with this. The one who's the, the heroine in the story, she goes, I feel like God's not answering any of my prayers and that he's left me completely alone. And her father says, you're a teacher. You should know that when you go through a test, the teacher is silent. Do you realize that God does that with us many times? He teaches us a lesson, and then when he puts us through the test, it's going to seem like he's not there. Why? Because the teacher is silent. The teacher, the test is not designed to know what the teacher knows. The teacher teacher is is to be silent during the middle of the test, and God will be silent during the test. And the bigger the test, the more advanced we are, the longer the test might be. You look at somebody like Job who went through a very long test. It doesn't tell us how long that test was, but it wasn't just a couple of days. It It wasn't even a couple of weeks probably. It said his his friends observed him for seven days before they talked to him, and he had already been in into devastating punishment before that, uh, testing before that happened. And it probably was months, maybe a year. I don't know if it was that long, but there was a long time that Job had to just depend on God and be faithful. And we don't know how long it was, but we know that it was a pretty severe test, and God was silent for a long time until the very end when he spoke and said, I'm going to now teach you I'm going to teach you, Job. Get ready to answer me. You said you wanted to, give me, you wanted to answer me? And here, here you go. Here are my questions. And God asks some questions. And Job finally just says, I've shutting my mouth. I've spoken foolishly. And we want to be very careful because God will test us. And he will seem silent in the middle of the test quite frequently. All right, let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for how much you love and care for us. Lord, we ask you to always be preparing us for these tests and help us to be faithful when you do test us. Help us to know that these are tests and that we are to trust you in the middle of them. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.